There has to be some common sense. Yes, sir, they have the car stopped at 10th and Grinch microbiter. We still don't know who pulled the trigger. Everyone and welcome to Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, retired NYPD Sergeant Bill Cannon, a 27-year veteran, retired out of Manhattan North Homicide Squad. In fact, October 31st of this month, I've been out 11 years. I can't believe. God bless you. Yes, 11 years. A lot of water under the bridge in those 11 years. You know, I did a lot of different things. I taught college for like five or six years immediately upon retirement. We know you wear a lot of hats. We know. No, no. And then I got this idea I could do some acting and uh, I did some stand up comedy and I was trying everything. I was like, hey, you only live once. And, you know, then after COVID, I dropped out of doing uh, stand up comedy and acting, pretty much just doing all those auditions on, you know, now when you audition, you audition on your cell phone, but you need a reader. You need someone to read opposite you. And I never had anyone home to read. So it was such like, created such anxiety for me. And I said, you know something, I'm just going to do my podcast. And with with great uh, reluctance, I told this this modeling agency that um, actually represented me, Abby Lynn Models, I said, look, I'm, I'm not going to do this anymore. They were like, you're quitting? I go, yeah, I just, you know, I I'll felt like a nerd. Bro. I felt bad you. doing it, you know. I'll read with you. Yeah, but yeah, no, well, you have to have someone there with you, you know. Yeah. So you, you know, yeah. Well, it doesn't matter. I, I stopped doing it. Will I ever do it again? I don't know. Maybe I never say never. You know, you, you always want to leave the door open um, to try things again. You know, folks, this case here, heart, heartbreaking case. And the reason uh, this is Cassie Cauley. She, uh, she was murdered, and uh, in March, this case, she she went missing in March, and. One of the big things we were waiting on, and Duty Ron covered this case and some others covered this case, we were waiting for the autopsy results and the toxicology results to come back. And the worst thing that could have happened with an autopsy and the toxicology is that they came back inconclusive. And what does that mean? The cause and manner of death of Florida mother Cassie Cauley, she was 37 years old, are undetermined. County coroner told, uh, reported on Monday. Uh, the St. Clair County coroner uh, declined to answer more questions about the autopsy because of the ongoing case, because there's still going to be a prosecution. However, they're not ready to say, they're not ru- ruling how she died. The cause of, of, of course, would be, could be poisoning, could be asphyxia, could be blunt trauma, could be a lot of things, but they're not willing to say how that happened. And in addition, they're not willing to rule this a homicide. They're ruling it undetermined, which leaves the onus on the detective. So this case is not over by a long shot. All right. And uh, Phil knows that on the NYPD, um, we had a thing called a cuppy and, uh, I, I used to say it stood for circumstances undetermined pending police investigation. So much more investigation is needed for them to prosecute this as a murder or to declare this a homicide. Um, this happens the same day her boyfriend, Marcus Spanavello, was scheduled for jury selection in his trial for allegedly hindering the investigation into her brief uh, disappearance. Holly went missing on March 27th when she uh, was supposed to be meeting him, Marcus Spanavello, for a custody exchange over their younger daughter. The meeting location was Juana Pagoda's restaurant in Santa Rosa County, Florida. Holly's family said her number sent strange texts in which the author, purportedly her, claimed to have car trouble and that Spanavello was paying her to do some stuff around his house. Relatives said her phone was missing from her purse, which was found in her abandoned car at the restaurant. 
Investigators found her dead just days later in Alabama, the state where Marcus Spanavello lived and worked. Carly's body was found in a shallow grave in a barn on a property in the city of Springville, which authorities said was linked to Spanavello. Spanavello lived in the Birmingham area. He was arrested in Tennessee. He has only been charged, however, with tampering with evidence and false information to law enforcement during an investigation. So this, Phil, I know that you're you're burning and you're chopping at the bit right now because this is probably, uh, you know, you want to hear as an investigator, as a detective, that the medical examiner came back with, yeah, the cause of death is asphyxia. Uh, and I'm just using that as an example. The cause of death is blunt trauma. The cause of death is uh, poisoning, whatever. But they came back with no cause of death. And as a result, there is no manner of death, which, of course, we have learned here numerous times. That could be homicide, suicide, accidental, or natural. It's none of those. They came back undetermined. Bill, discuss this little uh, quagmire we have here. Okay, Bill, you forgot to introduce me straight out of Brooklyn. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Folks, with me tonight, retired NYPD detective and straight out of Brooklyn, Phil Grimaldi. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing good, Billy. Yeah, I want to jump right into this because there's a lot – uh, a lot of uh, things are being said uh, relative to whether or not they're going to be able to prosecute this case and all of that. But when the body was found, uh, it was reported that there were no obvious signs of trauma, that the body was intact. It was in a shallow grave. And Dennis Russell was the St. Clair County coroner that was going to perform the autopsy. Um, again, we talked about how in New York City, we have the medical examiner's office and you have coroners around the country. There is not a national standard for a death investigation where there really should be. I think Barbara Butcher, Ed Wallace, and Duty Ron made that point last night on their show. They had a great show. I learned a lot of different things from listening to it, as a matter of fact. But with this case, as you pointed out, Bill, there are only uh, four manners of death, whether it be homicide, suicide, natural, or accidental. I think we can rule out three of them right off the bat because it's not going to be a natural death. She didn't bury herself in a grave. It's not going to be a suicide. Again, she didn't bury herself in a grave. And it's not going to be uh, natural, obviously. So again, it's not natural. It's not suicide. And it's not accidental. So the only thing left is homicide. They leave it where they're saying undetermined. Whether or not uh, toxicology was done correctly or if it was done at all, we know that there are certain Uh, jurisdictions throughout the country that have very tight budgets on these type of things. Barbara Butcher was talking about that last night, how uh, it's very expensive to send out pathological uh, samples and stuff. So again, whether or not they did it, however, this being what I would consider a high profile case, uh, it should not have been, uh, you know, held by budget constraints where they didn't do something. Again, I don't know who this person is, this Dennis Russell, but Uh, He owns a funeral home, so he's basically a funeral director that was elected into this position. I don't know what experience he has in in criminal death investigation. And Barbara Butcher made a super point last night that in New York City, uh, they will not allow a body to be cremated until uh, a cause of death is determined. You can, the body can be buried, the family can do their, uh, you know, they can have a wake, a funeral, whatever it is, but it cannot be cremated. So that way they can go back to uh, recheck the body. In this case, however... The body was cremated, which something that probably shouldn't have been. But however, I'm sure that they did an extensive videotape and photography of the body, the way it was found. And um, one of the people in the chat mentioned about having uh, whether or not there was anything found under her fingernails. We don't know the condition of the body, whether or not it was badly decomposed or if it was uh, attacked by uh, you know, some some uh, animals in the area. So again, without knowing that, it's really hard to say whether or not there was fingernail scrapings done on this particular person. So uh, there's nothing obvious that they can point to at this point, but I, I still have faith that further investigation, maybe they can go over the samples or they can have a medical examiner, not a coroner, look at the actual photographs, and maybe they'll spot something in those photographs and be able to uh, point to an exact cause of death. Yeah, I mean, this is, um, let me just get that off the screen. I want to play a little bit of this just to bring people back, because this has been a while 
This is actually March 20, March 27th. So I want to play this and just so people uh, bring them back to what this case was about, because we did extensive coverage and so did duty run on this case. Agency multi-state search for a mother who went to pick up her daughter in a custody exchange and has not been seen since. Cassie Carley went to a restaurant parking lot in Florida on Sunday to meet up with her ex-boyfriend. Her family started to get worried when they didn't hear from her. They reported her missing the next day. They found her car and belongings, but no sign of Cassie. And the family of the 37-year-old says that's not like her at all. She's just started a new job, and she has a four-year-old daughter. Authorities say Cassie's ex, believed to be one of the last people to see her, is cooperating and not a suspect in her disappearance. But tonight, Cassie's family is raising alarms about concerning text messages they received in the hours after the meetup. I'm going to be speaking with Rianne Carley, that's Cassie's sister, in just a moment. But first, correspondent Kelly Beeson is joining me now with more on what has become an urgent and expansive search for Cassie. Certainly an urgent search, Ruta Bay, and I think you mentioned it. One of the most concerning factors here is that family says this just is not like Cassie Carley. And now this has evolved into a multi-state frantic search. It's been a painstaking week for Cassie Carley's family. The 37-year-old mother was last seen Sunday night in a parking lot at Navarre Beach, a small Florida town on the Gulf of Mexico. According to investigators, Carly was picking up her daughter, Sailor, from her ex-boyfriend. The mother then seemingly vanishes, leaving her car, purse, and belongings in the parking lot where the exchange took place. There were things in the purse we won't comment on, but there's still things in the purse that, like I said before, we don't think she would just up and leave. Sailor was found safe. Now the FBI and 10 local detectives are investigating. Authorities say Carly's father reported her missing on Monday and that her ex-boyfriend is cooperating and isn't considered a person of interest in the case. I can say it's an ongoing investigation and he was the last one to see her that we're aware of. So obviously we, uh, we are intent on speaking with him again. You know, folks, you see how things change. Uh, this was very early in the investigation, and right away they said the boyfriend, referring to Marcus Spanavello, is cooperating, and he's not considered a person of interest. All of that, of course, quickly changed. He wasn't cooperating, and he was considered a person of interest. So, you know, and this, this chief uh, of this department in Florida I really I I like this chief a lot. He his heart was in the right place. But when you're speaking to the media, you always have to be careful about what you say, because he had said something about this guy should get the needle. Now we don't know. Now you can have egg on your face, because we don't know if in fact they're going to be able to prosecute him for the murder of Cassie. So that's why when you speak to the media, police you know especially police spokespersons. You have to really watch your P's and Q's because you can wind up eating a P and Q sandwich, you know, and not in a good way either, you know. Now, Sailor was found safe with her father, Carly's ex, across the border in Alabama. After reviewing the surveillance video, detectives say they don't have any evidence that leads them to believe this is a homicide or an abduction. However, they're still keeping an open mind, Ruta Bay, based especially on all the red flags in this case. Uh, There's so many questions tonight and so agonizing for the family. Kelly, thank you. And we want to talk to one of the family members tonight. Rianne Carly is Cassie's sister. She joins us live. Thank you so much for being here. We're so sorry for everything you're going through. I know this is a, a really difficult time for you. When did you know something wasn't right? I knew immediately Monday because we talked daily. Uh, we were at the best we'd ever been in our relationship. And Monday when I hadn't heard from her, I knew something. And my dad called me though that uh, afternoon and confirmed my gut feeling that something was not right. And he had not heard from her. And tell us about his communication before her disappearance. Uh, he, he lives with, she lives with my dad. So, uh, she left out the door, um, just to a typical exchange, uh, go pick up sailor. Hi dad. Be, be right back. I'm just going to go grab sailor. And he worries, um, drifted asleep, but woke back up three hours later and there was no sign of her or sailor, um, home. So that's when he began to worry for the worse. So 
I just wanted to bring you guys back to where we were in uh, March, around March 27th, when uh, Cassie Cauley disappeared. One of the things that is so, so strong in any investigation, and people sometimes make light of it, and something called circumstantial evidence. And I'm just going to read the, what the definition of circumstantial evidence is to you. Um, it's evidence that tends to prove a fact by proving other events or circumstances which afford a basis for a reasonable inference of the occurrence of the fact at issue. A lot of words there, right? A little yeah, It's there. a lot of words, but... It, it is know, a little wordy. Yeah, yeah. In this particular case, I think what we talked about as far as the autopsy results, I think, all right, that's established that right now they're at a point where they're saying it's inconclusive. They don't know the exact cause of death. Okay, we're good with that. We can clearly eliminate, like I said earlier, it's not accidental. It's not suicide. It's not natural causes. The only other category left is homicide. Now, I think we have to put it now, if I were a prosecutor in this case, we'd have to put together all of the events that we know that he was tied to the location where she was found. The last time that she was seen, she was going to do an exchange of a child that they have in common. We know that the custody battle was considered a high conflict custody battle. So we know that there was obviously uh, you know, arguments or there was uh, non-agreement going on between the two parties. She also made the statement to her sister that if something should ever happen to her, it was going to be Marcus that did it. So uh, you can take some of those facts and then you can take, uh, he was charged with tampering with evidence, giving false information on a missing investigation and destruction of evidence. So they clearly feel that he has tampered with some of the crime scene or the evidence. So if you take all of those things and you can actually build what you just said, Bill, a circumstantial case to point towards the fact that he's the one that killed her, that he was the cause of her death. Now, are we going to get a murder to a conviction? Perhaps, maybe not. But I still think that um, the outstanding um, evidence that was presented by that coroner can be re-examined by a more, pro a more professional medical examiner and perhaps there could be a, a, a ruling made or an argument made to say that, yes, in fact, it is a homicide. Again, without knowing the condition of what the body, uh, how the body was found, we know it was found after six days. We don't know when she was exactly killed. She could have been killed either on that first day. She could have been killed four or five days in. We really don't know. So again, I think that's very, very important. And uh, just because they have it undetermined right now, my point is, is that I think that there still could be a charge of homicide and possibly a conviction. John Donahue, thank you so much for the 999 Super Chat. Thank Can you. the family hire their own medical examiner for a second opinion? Absolutely. 100%. But it costs a lot of money. Yeah. So maybe they should consider that if they could raise the money to do so. And folks, I just want to clear something up. Like when we spoke about... Um, circumstances uh, undetermined pending police investigation or causes. Some of you guys use the word causes undetermined pending police investigation. Basically in New York city, the medical examiner will throw that back to the detectives and say, I can't determine what this is. Put on your gumshoes, pick up your phone and get out there and wear out a couple of pairs of shoes and get me some more evidence. So folks, when you say in the chat, could they still charge murder? And you say, no, yes, they could. Yes, they could. And they could make a circumstantial case. And I and I always bring up the case in um, of Dan Bibb, uh, a Manhattan district attorney. Uh, let me just get this off the screen. Who had a um, a circumstantial case of the of the murder of a, a doctor who murdered his wife in New York City. Great example. Uh, took her to her in the trunk of his car in a duffel bag, drove to a private airport, got his private plane, threw the duffel bag in his plane, and dumped his wife in the Atlantic Ocean. They never, ever um, found her body. And guess what? They got a conviction. Convicted murder, of murder. Second degree. Absolutely. And the guy's name was Dr. Bierenbaum. And I think he has served his 20 in excess of 20 something years. And um, I believe he may be out at this, at this time, but it was an unbelievable case. So there goes, 
when folks say, oh, without the body, you can't get a conviction. You absolutely can. And they have already gotten convictions uh, of, of homicide cases without recovering the body. So when you have a body, what we have now is we have a body recovered under extremely, extremely uh, suspicious circumstances. But the medical examiner cannot determine cause or manner of death. So again, kick it back to the detectives and let's see what else they can find out. Let's keep getting some more information. Don't forget Marcus Spanavello, who you just saw on the screen. Here he is in the right uh, part of this picture. He was 100% uncooperative in this investigation. He tampered with evidence in this investigation. Uh, Carly's body was found in a barn near where he, he worked. That is where he worked. It was The barn was connected to him. So all of these, you may argue, oh, yes, it's circumstantial. He met, she met with him. She's the last human being that she met with when she was alive. She made a statement to her family, as Phil alluded to earlier, if something happens to me, Marcus did it. She asked her father if he would accompany her to do the exchange of the child because he had a carry permit, a gun permit, and she was terrified of Marcus. Uh, he, of course, he got rid of um, he got rid of her phone. He got rid of Carly's phone. Uh, he, text messages that he sent out, which you could see right there, they showed deceit. I'm sorry, Carl was acting up, and I broke my phone. Marcus is working on it. I will stay at his place tonight. He is paying me money to do some stuff around his house. According to her family, that is not her language. That is not how she would speak. And apparently, she would never, ever stay in Marcus's house. She was that terrified of him. She would never stay over his house. So all of that is circumstantial evidence, but it's strong circumstantial evidence. Absolutely, Billy. And the family has definitely said that that was out of character for her. Uh, to talk like that, that verbiage, as well as staying with him, uh, the phone broke, uh, the car broke, and they have video evidence of him in that parking lot. So we know that they did meet, her car was found there, and his vehicle uh, pulling this trailer was there. So again, uh, all of these little bits of circumstantial evidence, like you said, Bill, she was the last person that he was ever uh, with. And then his statements, obviously inconsistent when he started to uh, talk to the police. Uh, they must have asked him about those text messages. And he, again, he uh, he said different things. He caught himself in some lies. And uh, so all of those things will be able to be presented. I don't think that this case is lost at this point, even if another medical examiner looks at it and still cannot determine the cause of death based on the fact that the body was cremated. I still think that uh, you can put enough evidence forward in this case. Um, you know, it, is it coincidence that her body is found in a shallow grave in a location that he's familiar with and did work at miles in another state from where she was last seen? I don't think that that's a coincidence. I think that's obvious right there. And then you're going to have all the other different things. We knew that there was a tumultuous relationship. We knew that she was obviously very scared of him based on the things that Bill and I stated previously to this show, as well as on this show. And all is the, all of these little tidbits of evidence. And then we also have Sailor. What did Sailor tell anyone? I know she's only four, four years old. Perhaps she could have spoken about an argument or a fight that took place. So there's just so many things pointing in the direction of Marcus Spanavello being responsible for the disappearance and the untimely death of... Uh, of Cassie Carley. So uh, I don't think this case is lost at all. Right now for a missing mother. We don't have any evidence specifically pointing to a homicide or abduction or any of those. We just know that the way she has gone missing concerns us greatly. 
A mystery in Santa Rosa County. A single mom from Navarre has been missing now for about five days. New details released today in the disappearance of Cassie Carley. Fox 10 News' Lee Peck joining us here in studio with the update. And Lee, the Santa Rosa Sheriff labeling the case as missing endangered. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Lenise and Byron, while they're unclear exactly what happened, it's safe to say they're very concerned after Cassie's car was found with her purse inside and even more so after there's been no cell phone or credit card activity in the last four days. Juana's Pagoda's restaurant in Navarre Beach, the last known sighting of 37-year-old Cassie Carley. According to Santa Rosa County Sheriff's investigators, it was the drop-off location for a custody exchange with the father of her three-year-old daughter Sunday night. Reported missing on Monday, Cassie's car discovered in the back parking lot on Tuesday with her purse still inside. You know, I, I've been married uh, 32 years and I'll tell you, my wife goes nowhere without a purse. So to think that she just left it there and just walked off is, you know, that's what concerns us. The father of the child, Marcus Spanavello, tracked down by Santa Rosa investigators Wednesday in Birmingham. The child found safe. While Sheriff Bob Johnson says Spanavello was questioned about Cassie's disappearance, he wouldn't elaborate on what was said. But friends of Cassie tell us the former couple were involved in an ongoing bitter custody dispute. Well, I can say it's an ongoing investigation and he was the last one to see her that we're aware of. So obviously we uh, we are intent on speaking with him again. The FBI and Florida Department of Law Enforcement are also assisting in the search, which goes beyond Santa Rosa County. This as detectives continue to go through surveillance video. We didn't just assign a detective. Our entire major crimes unit is working this. So you've got 10 detectives that that's pretty much all they're doing right now is trying to locate Cassie. You know, you hope for the best and you prepare for the worst. So that's what we're doing. Also determined to find Cassie, a team of friends, family, and volunteers who've had boots on the ground since Monday. They plan to expand their search further east tomorrow. I wish you could all see and know our Cassie. If you could know her for just one minute, then you would be committed to find her and be out here every day to, to find her. So don't give up and don't give up on hope. We're going to find her and we're going to bring her home. And just six months ago, a GoFundMe was organized on Cassie's behalf to help with her custody fight, where she wrote a letter detailing alleged abuse at the hands of Spanavello. Meanwhile, if you have information that can help investigators, give them a call. Byron. Okay. You know, Phil, one of the things I also I wonder in this case is would it this had been a different story had the body been recovered in Florida? Because Alabama doesn't have a, you know, they don't have a sword in this fight. You know, they don't have an ax in this fight. It's not their resident. And I know you would think that any district attorney would prosecute a case as hard, but really this case really b belongs in Florida. But as we know, the jurisdiction that recovers the body, that's where the case is going to be prosecuted. But it's not how... Are they? Will they be prepared? Will they be ready? Will they work hard to bring a circumstantial case if necessary? And that's what's going to have to be brought because unless the family hires some uh, some superstar medical examiner that's able to look at that body and come up with a cause and a manner of death, they may not go forward with the and with the homicide prosecution because they're not calling it a homicide. However. I think they can bring a circumstantial death charge, a charge of murder with a circumstantial case. And again, can they do that without the medical examiner ruling that it's the manner and cause of death? I think, Billy, a quick comment about Florida. Barbara Butcher last night said that in Florida, the medical examiners and coroners in Florida are very capable. She felt very confident. Now, again, this is in Alabama. This is a, a completely different state. So uh, the, the, the point being that if the prosecutor's office wants to take this case seriously, the family doesn't have to hire this outside medical examiner. The prosecutor's office can do it. There may be budget constraints in, in, that, in that area, but I think that this is a high-profile case. We need justice that this woman uh, was killed. Uh, she left a four-year-old daughter. 
And uh, I think that, you know, the prosecutor's office can pick up the ball on that and, again, have a, a, another medical examiner look at it, go over everything, go over all the, the tissue samples, whatever they collected from the crime scene, and perhaps they'll be able to do it. But even in, like we said, uh, I think a case can definitely be made circumstantially based on everything that we know, even if they, the results of another, uh, you know, another uh, medical examiner looking at the, uh, the autopsy results is still undetermined. I, I clearly see that a connection can be made to uh, point the finger at uh, Marcus Panabella. You know, in the in the criminal justice system in this country, you have to have facts that reach a conclusion based uh, on no reasonable doubt. You, it's got to be beyond reasonable doubt. So with all the things that we just uh, stated, and there's probably a lot more facts and a lot more information that we don't know. Uh, I think, you know, you have to get uh, 12 people on a jury to agree that, yes, the person is guilty of that crime beyond a reasonable doubt. And I think it's there, Bill. Look, I think they could bring a circumstantial case. I, I just, I'm concerned with the politics of prosecution. Would Florida jump in there and say to Alabama, look, we're going to try to bring a circumstantial case. We're going to take this case from you. Or could they do that? Or would Alabama say, no, you're not doing that because we recovered the body. This is our case. And we're gonna we're gonna stay with this case. I don't know the in, internal politics with this. I, I don't think I don't think that Florida can take it from Georgia course of uh, the jurisdiction. But Bill, think about this: she was in Florida. They went over uh, across state lines. We could have the feds involved in a case like this too. We could have a federal jurisdiction. Come you, in. you know, you're absolutely right. They could prosecute this case federally. Absolutely. absolutely. You know, and then you know that's but the FBI was involved in this in the very beginning. But well, perhaps they, they didn't the take again, the case because, look, they got they got nothing but money to burn the feds, and um, you know this 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 case, I I would go with another um, I would have another autopsy done, I would Absolutely. not be satisfied with the, these results because this is clearly a murder case, and they took six months to come back with undetermined. Uh, I'm not thrilled with that. I'm not uh, I'm not. Uh, I'm not impressed with that. Let me put it that way. Who's on WFLA now? Here's J.B. Buno. An autopsy report that gives no answers, but rather drops massive questions into the death of Florida mother Cassie Carling, whose manner of death has not been ruled a homicide and a cause of death that remains a mystery, according to the county coroner's office. Hey there, folks. J.B. here with you live. On WFLA now, this is a developing story as we are learning about this from the St. Clair County Coroner's Office that has received the completed autopsy report on Cassie Carly. You can read about it right now by clicking on the link in the description on this video. If you don't want to hear it from me, if you want to read the very latest, you can do so on WFLA.com, the WFLA app, or one of our sister station websites as well. Just look for the link in the description on this video. But for now, we're going to break down the very latest with what we know. There was two big things with the completed autopsy report for Cassie Carley. And before I break those down, let me remind folks of the Cassie Carley story. Cassie Carley going missing in March of this year after a custody exchange of uh, her four-year-old daughter with her ex-boyfriend by the name of Marcus uh, Spanov. You know, Phil, I'm just being apprised of the fact that I think I knew this and I forgot that uh, Cassie Cauley's been cremated. They yes. cannot do a second yes. autopsy. Yes. And no, they, uh, can another, that, um, they can look at what, what the original coroner uh, did as far as examination of the body at the scene. And they can, you know, they could uh, review video. They can re review photographs. And they can also review whatever samples were taken if they did uh, uh, stock samples as well. So they could definitely still, uh, some another pair of eyes in the medical field can look at this 100%, Billy. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it's disturbing that, you know, they can dispose of the body like that when it's in question. I, I just absolutely that was, that, was, that. That, that was a big booboo, I think, in my yeah. Avella, uh, after the custody exchange, Cassie Carley went missing, lost, launching a massive multi-state search effort from Alabama excuse me, from Florida into Alabama, and then, of course, crossing into Tennessee. We'll get into all this, I'm sure, in a little bit, but uh, I'm sure a lot of our audience very familiar with the Cassie Carley story. Cassie Carley's body, her remains, were found in a shallow grave in a barn in St. Clair County, Alabama. 
and quickly arrested was Marcus Spanavello in Tennessee. And the charges were not related to her death, but rather tampering with evidence, even though we had a press conference from Sheriff Bob Johnson at the Santa Rosa County Sheriff's Office that pretty much indicated that they were highly confident that they had their man, that they had the person responsible for Cassie Carley's death. Then the wait began, and a very lengthy wait, approximately six months waiting for the autopsy. The reason that Spanavello, as investigators would say, wasn't facing charges is because of the fact that they were waiting on the completed autopsy report out of Alabama. Remember now, Florida officials, they do not have control of the autopsy process. They're not involved in any way, shape, or form, of course, because of Cassie Carley's body and her remains being found in Alabama over state lines. So it took a lengthy six months for the completed autopsy report to be uh, to be finalized. It has been finalized. I anticipate having the actual document in hand, but I spoke with the St. Clair County coroner this morning, and he indicated to me uh, two significant things. Uh, first, that the cause of death is undetermined. The cause of death is how the person died, whether it was, and I'm just listing off some other common occurrences for an autopsy of this magnitude, something like a gun, a gunshot or a drowning, uh, or blunt force trauma, all the different ways, of course. And, uh, you know, folks that follow true crime, I'm sure very familiar with the different causes of death that comes along with somebody uh, who is the victim of homicide. But I say victim of homicide, uh, even more surprising, the county coroner telling me the manner of death, which is homicide, suicide, they determined that to be undetermined. So they could not, based on the remains that were found in St. Clair County, Alabama, they could not determine how Cassie Carley died, and they could not determine her manner of death, whether she was, in fact, murdered. That's J.B. Buno, WFLA. Um, make a lot of good news nation. You know, folks, I'm baffled by the fact, I can understand if the science didn't indicate the cause of death, but... How about the manner of death? How could that be argued? I have a hard time with that because a body is disposed of, obviously, in a barn where she has no connection with. How did it get there if not through a homicide and someone dumping the body there? So how is that in itself also not pointing towards homicide? You know, Billy, I think that you're 100% right because um, – if her body's intact, which we know that it was intact, there might have been some uh, decomposition and there might have been some, uh, you know, animal uh, interaction with the body. However, um, you know, you can make the argument, well, I don't know what the exact cause of death is, so how could I rule it a homicide? But you have to look at the facts. That's why the, the, the detectives, the investigation of the crime scene needed to be implemented and, and considered uh, for the, the uh, you know, the, the manner of death. And, um, you know, the, I, I think the person, the coroner, is probably trying to cover his butt by saying, well, if I don't know what the cause of death is, how can I say what the manner of death is? That's what I think is going on here, probably because of a lack of experience with criminal death investigation. This is obviously criminal death investigation. So in his mind, I'm just throwing this out there. I don't know what he's thinking, but perhaps, you know, maybe she died of this or, or, or natural causes and they just buried the body. No, you, you have to look at all of the circumstances leading up to when the body was found. That's where I think he made a mistake and got lost. Run the world. Thank you so much for the 1999 super chat. Yes, I'm feeling much better, guys. I I, I hate talking about my health, but I love you guys that you, you pray, prayed for me. I've had this continuous problem, and hopefully it's taken care of now, and I won't ever have to talk about this again, hopefully. Uh Bill, was Cassie's daughter ever interviewed? You know, I've had experience uh, with a case years ago where we had a four-year-old girl uh, witness the double murder of her grandmother and of her grandmother's boyfriend. Totally 100% worthless as a witness. Just, you just cannot... A four-year-old witnessing something like that will just uh, not be able to re recount what occurred. They'll totally suppress it in their subconscious. So, uh, you know, I'm sure she was, they probably attempted to, but it, it, a four-year-old really, and is a four-year-old's also unswearable. 
just, it's uh, just informational, I would think, Bill. You know, like maybe was there a fight? Did mommy and daddy fight? I don't think you would want to, you know, introduce any type of violence to a child of that nature. You know, what was going on? And then stay very, very peripheral about, you know, what actually might have taken place. And then if the child spits something out, you have some information that you could possibly, you know, uh, expand on. But yeah, you're making the point, Billy. Unswearable and unreliable as a witness, a four-year-old. Well, Les Pony, thank you so much for the 1999 Super Chat. Thank you for all your support. Uh, I thought Duty Ron said there was a surveillance camera showed the boyfriend was seen putting her in a trailer towed by his truck. I had heard that before, but I I didn't uh, hear Duty Ron. I don't know his reference for that. I didn't. I don't know if that is, in fact, a fact. So I can't really speak upon it. But I will find out about that. Uh, Phil, did you know something about that? Yeah, last night on Duty Run Show, they did make mention of that, that she possibly was forced into the trailer. Uh, Bill, when we did previous shows, we had the picture of the trailer. It was a pickup truck pulling this work trailer where he had tools and stuff in there. So now I think they referenced possibly that there was some type of videotape where uh, she's being forced into that uh, that trailer-type vehicle that's being pulled by the uh, by the pickup truck. Uh, and again, they were talking about, and we're just, you know, we don't know for certain we're spitballing here. Perhaps they, uh, some type of a chemical agent was introduced to knock her unconscious. Again, all uh, just uh, spitballing. We don't know for certain. Uh, again, I think those are the type of things that they would have looked for at the autopsy if there was some type of a chemical agent that was produced to render her incapable or unconscious. So again, I don't know for a fact, I didn't see it. I don't think duty run showed the tape, but they did make reference to that. I did catch that during the, uh, during the show last night for sure. You know, folks, it's very common across the USA uh, in custody or in, in battles where parents don't get along and there's a child in common that they get the police involved in the custody of, of the child. For example, the, the husband or, or the wife, who's ever, uh, whoever has custody, the, they will meet at a police station and they will exchange the child at a police station because one or the other, usually the wife doesn't feel safe to exchange the, the kid even in public that she wants the protection of the police while they're exchanging uh, the child. And th that's, that's very, very common. Uh, we have other type of things we do in the police department when, when a couple breaks up and they, they live together. Um, there's something called the closed job. They'll ask the police, usually the female will ask the police, will you accompany me back to my apartment? I need to get my clothes and this, that, and I'm terrified to go back in the apartment because he's there. And I've taken part in lots of them. And, and one of the big problems is that the person that lives in the apartment wants to spend all day there removing all their stuff. And we just say, get enough clothes to, to wear for the day. We can't stay here like Acme Moving Company while you move all your possessions. We just, we just can't do that. But that's very common. So all of these domestic violence issues, which there was no doubt there was domestic violence here, even though they didn't live together, but they had a child in common and that would forever tie them together. Well, forever until she met her demise. And it, it appears uh, a lot of evidence there that he did it. And that's why we were all shocked to, to have this come back as inconclusive both on the cause and the manner of death. We were all counting on this to come back and tell us who did this, you know, and, and just have the evidence point right toward him. And it, it actually didn't. Uh, oh, Iris, what was that? Uh, sensitive question. Has there ever been drug use between the parent in this case? Are you talking about? I, I think that's really undetermined at this point, Bill. But I wanted to make a point. I saw Jamie had put up a comment there earlier about having the police present. And, Bill, you just brought it up. It's so, so important. They, uh, these domestic violence cases, they really hit home. Uh, they, they really get under your skin when you see these type of things where it's totally uh, preventable. But there are support systems out there. Uh, the police, like you said, Bill, they'll do a closed job. 
Uh, we'll go with you to get clothes out of an apartment or whatever it is, a location. And also with the exchange. Um, many exchanges are done within police precincts in the New York City area. I'm sure that if you requested it with your local police agency anywhere in the United States, that they would accommodate that. Again, um, very, very uh, volatile situations call for things like that, where it's ordered sometimes, mandated by a judge that the the, the child exchange will be done supervised in a police precinct. So again, uh, there are uh, there are different avenues. A person who's a victim or in a domestic violence relationship, uh, or what they they categorize this relationship as a high conflict custody battle. If you're in that situation, there are definitely things you can do to protect yourself and protect your children. Absolutely. Schmitty, witty Schmitty. It was determined, too, that he worked for something to do with landscaping. Ed brought up the fact, you mean, uh, referring to Ed Wallace, Yeah. brought up the fact of chemicals, for example, pesticides, if kept in the bond, could cause serious health. Yeah, they could kill you. You know, that's one of the things, too, that a lot of pathologists, a lot of uh, medical examiners, uh, never mind coroners who don't have the education of pathologists and medical examiners, poison is is people that know how to use poison to kill people. There's a lot that are almost untraceable. So he he very, very well may have used some kind of poison that he used in his landscaping business. And so, so he could have been reading up on it. That's one of the reasons, one of the first things they should also do is search his computer, yep. see what he was reading, see what he was uh, searching on his computer prior to this meet. There's all other avenues of investigation, do a financial on him, right? See and what his financial situation was. Yeah, see, I think the point, Bill, uh, that uh, Ed was trying to make is that uh, perhaps he could have used some type of chemical to render her uh, unconscious or render her incapacitated so that way he could do whatever it was he w uh, wanted to do to her. So again, those are the things that a medical examiner would clearly be looking for. And I think Barbara Butcher made the point that those type of uh, chemicals would remain in the body at, at the time of death. If it caused unconsciousness and then death, the, the, those chemicals would remain in the body. Obviously, as time went on and the body decomposed and if the body was uh, disturbed or, or uh, attacked by animal life, that it would definitely impact it. But uh, she seemed pretty certain that if, if things like that, if there was a poison introduced or some type of a chemical, uh, you know, that they would be able to uh, find that out through the, uh, you know, the, the testing and the uh, toxicology. So, again, uh, yeah, that's one of the possibilities here. I think we have to look at. But, Bill, real quick, this this. Coroner Dennis Russell, I don't know who he is. He's a funeral director. I don't know what his education is, but I can recall a case where I had a funeral director tell family of a homicide victim erroneous information. There's a thing called lividity, which is pooling of blood in the body, and it looks like black and bluing. And uh, the coroner, the uh, the funeral director gave this erroneous information and said that the person who had been dead for six weeks when they were when we recovered the body and leaning on one side, there was all purple on one side of the body. He told the family that the person was beaten with a baseball bat, which was not true. Person had been shot in the head. And, uh, you know, the family asked us early on if, you know, if the person suffered and we said we didn't think so. It was one shot to the head that, you know, that, that we believed that the person died rather quickly. And then the family came at us later on at the at the wake. And it, we found out that the funeral director gave erroneous information. So I don't know who the St. Clair County coroner is, Dennis Russell. I don't know him. I don't know what his education level is or what his criminal investigation of death is, you know, as far as his background. But uh, again, uh, really should be a federal mandate that you have extensive, uh, you know, experience and background in criminal investigation for death investigation. I mean, you know, I, I would hope and pray that in this case that someone who was inexperienced wound up doing the autopsy and, and maybe lost or, or, you know, failed to find the cause of death here. Absolutely. Folks, this is Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. If you like this podcast, and why wouldn't you? <laughs> Go on our YouTube. That's right. Hit that subscribe button. Give us a thumbs up. Ring that bell. Uh, if you want to uh, support us, we have a Patreon with three different levels. We also have a YouTube channel members with count it, five different levels. And you see the folks with the green font, they're part of our YouTube family, and we really appreciate them 1,000%.
You know, again, this comes back to a circumstantial case. And you can prove prove a murder with circumstantial evidence. It's done across this country all the time. Now, although Marcus Spanavello gets a little cockier, though, you know, because he immediately lawyered up, right, uh, from Jump Street, didn't cooperate. And, you know, I, according to the, the chief of police, he had said in one of the press conferences, he's going to get the needle because we have tons of evidence. You see how that can come back and make you look uh, not so smart for saying that? But I think they do have tons of evidence, but a district attorney has to be willing to go forward with a circumstantial case. But the problem is, is once you lose, that's it. You lose the case. But it's better to have gone after it and lose than to not try to prosecute it at all. Absolutely. And I think uh, Barbara Butcher and Ed Wallace made this uh, remark last night, one and done, meaning uh, they only had the one chance because the body was eventually cremated. So whatever information uh, was obtained from the crime scene and the autopsy is all we're going to have in this case. However, like I said, you could revisit those uh, pieces of evidence that they did, uh, you know, photographs, videotape or any uh, samples that they took. But then there is other things we're not considering here, Bill, was there tire tracks at the barn that match his vehicle? Was there cell phone technology evidence that will put him at the exact location? If he was in that barn burying that body and his cell phone rang, it would put him right at that location. So that might be some of the things that the sheriff might have been indicating uh, regarding evidence. There's other stuff that we don't know. Perhaps he told someone, perhaps there's a witness, uh, you know, that he was at uh, going to that location. Maybe not a maybe not um, admitting the murder, but uh, yeah, I got to go over to that location where I did that job and I got to go do something. And, you know, who knows what else there is. Uh, it's going to be a little bit, maybe more difficult to get a homicide conviction based on the fact that they're saying that there is no exact cause of death and there is no manner of death. But I think that it's there. I think it's definitely there. Yeah, look, I think that the comparison we're making is if a district attorney can get a murder conviction without a body, you have the body here and recovered under circumstances that are extremely nefarious. It's not, you know, not everyone gets recovered in a barn, you know, when they're reported missing. And and it's connected. There's a nexus between the barn and the uh, the, the boyfriend of, of, of the missing uh, woman. I mean, all of those things are very strong pieces of circumstantial evidence. And I think that presented, and there's way there's much more circumstantial evidence presented on top of each other, you know, to a jury, I think you could get this guy convicted doing sure. doing and, that. And listen, with the toxicology results, we could say, well, you know, maybe his lawyer can say, well, this is a night of drinking and drugging, and now she overdosed, and then uh, you know, my my client just buried the body. Well, the toxicology would reveal what was in her body if there were high levels of alcohol or high levels of narcotics. So, again, uh, they're saying undetermined. So we know that that's not the case, that there wasn't drugs because they had they were able to take samples. Obviously, it was only six days that the body was found and it was uh, shallowly buried. So, again, uh, whatever argument or defense his attorney would put up, that's what you'd have to do. You'd have to build so much evidence around uh, everything that we talked about, that it can only be, he can he can be the only person responsible for this woman's death. And then I think you would get a conviction. You know, Phil, even with her telling her, one of the strongest pieces of testimonial evidence you can get is something called the dying declaration. And although there's no dying declaration in this case, there is a living declaration, meaning that she told her family, if I get murdered, it's Marcus did it. That's pretty damn strong evidence. I would say that's very powerful, very powerful. Yes. So as close to what we would call a dying declaration, that's a living declaration and very strong. Phil, I want to take this. Sure. Joe Murray, attorney at law, have you found yourself in a jam? Are you in need of legal counsel in the New York area? Do you need a victim's advocate? Well, Joe Murray is your man. He's not only an experienced trial attorney, he's also a retired 15-year member of the NYPD. He literally knows both sides of defense. 
His website is jmurray-law.com. His telephone number is 646-838-1702. Or you can email Joe at joe at jmurray-law.com. Folks, I don't know if you've also been paying attention, but a case that we had been following of uh, Jalissa Fuentes uh, from uh, California, uh, they found her uh, today. And it appears that she had been involved in a vehicle accident. So they recovered her body. Uh, that doesn't seem to be foul play. It seems that she just got in a vehicle accident. And, you know, sometimes finding these people is very difficult in these mountainous regions. And it all, I mean, I think everyone's been following also the Kylie Rodney case and the recent uh, happenings with that, where they came up with a, a, a camera a fire camera that showed a vehicle at the exact time her phone had pinged, the last ping on her phone, going into the Presser Reservoir. Uh, you could see the, the headlights going in and then sinking in the reservoir. So we had said all along, and I'm not going to say, oh, I told you so, because there's still a lot of investigation to do in that case. But we thought sort of myself, Phil, Duty Ron, that crew, we thought this was a vehicle accident. And there was all kinds of um, conspiracy theories presented by the um, the YouTube com community. I'll put it that way. And still, could there be some other nefarious stuff going on? Yes, but it appears, again, it appears that this case uh, of Kylie Rodney was, in fact, a vehicle accident. Yeah, it, it appears it's obviously a horrible accident. And uh you know, Bill, I want to make a comment on someone asked, can I just put it on the screen, Bill? Uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. She asked, uh, Root the World, do you think there would be a plea bargain if he is charged with first degree murder? I want to talk about plea bargains. Plea bargain can take place before a case goes to trial. It could take place all the way up to during the trial. And even if a jury is out deliberating a case, they could still make a plea bargain at that point. They would excuse the jury and they would end the case right there if a person makes a plea bargain. And sometimes when a jury is out, there is plea bargains that have been made based on the fact that, you know, they might have read the jury one way or the other. And, the, and the, the perpetrator decides to say, you know what, the defendant decides to say, you know what, I'll take the 15 years rather than risk going away for 25 because the jury's been out such a long time or whatever it is. So, again, plea bargains can happen at any time uh, a person is uh, arrested and and even almost to the point where the trial would be over. Well said, Phil. Well, Phil, I, I think we basically covered this. I mean, if there's any new information on this, if the district attorney uh, chooses to go with a circumstantial case and prosecute this case as a murder, we'll keep covering it. Very disappointing uh, when an autopsy and toxicology comes back as undetermined. Very, very disappointing. Absolutely, Billy. But I think you brought up something before that in the case where uh, you get a case, a copy, a cause unknown pending police investigation and the medical examiner is telling you, listen, guys, I can't figure this out. You guys need to get out there. And you made the point, Bill. Good old fashioned uh, legwork, police legwork. Investigators are out there doing their thing, uh, getting cell phone technology evidence, trying to look for witnesses, trying to look for video information. Uh, going into the computer, doing a, a deep dive into what searches this uh, Marcus Spanavella may have done, uh, talking to friends, family, relatives, friends, uh, anybody, strangers that might have uh, come in contact with uh, Spanavella or Carly, uh, even just before, uh, you know, uh, she disappeared. So all of those things could possibly lead to a connection right back to Marcus Spanavello. And I think that once all of the evidence is put forward, this case will have a, a, a successful conclusion. Whether or not you get a conviction is another story, but I think they will be able to charge the homicide, in my opinion. Well, you know, uh, we're here, and uh, we're going to continue to cover this. Uh, Jamie, I don't, I'm not up on the Quentin Simon case. It's tough to, to stay up on all these cases and do it competent, you know, with great competence. So, uh, I'll look into that. I'll take a look at that case. There's so many cases that people, um, they write to us, they email us, say, oh, would you cover this case? Would you look at that case? And you, you have to realize, guys, it's really time consuming to, to look into these cases. And so we have to sort of pick and choose and uh, 
go with the cases we think that will be the most popular with you guys. Bill, final words? Final words. Bill, when you called me last night about this case, just to expand a little on what you just said, it was like a minute or two before I started to recall it in my memory. And then I went back to my notes and was able to uh, figure out what case we were going to do today and what we were talking about. But yeah, you're right. It's, it's very time consuming and stuff. And, uh, you know, you have to put on your investigator's hat. Let's hope that there's going to be uh, some justice for Cassie Carley, for little sailor, her daughter, and for her family in this case. And uh, it's kind of clear to me and Bill that we believe that Marcus Spanavello was guilty of homicide and responsible for the death and murder of Cassie Carley. I don't think there's any doubt in most of the people's minds that are in this chat. However, there is that standard. It's a high standard beyond the reasonable doubt has to be met in the court of law. But I think we're going to get there. We'll stay on this case. We're going to monitor for any further developments. And if anything is released and it's worth talking about, we'll be right back on it. Guys, thank you so much for coming by today. And thanks for listening. And thank you for being fans of Police Off the Cuff. God bless and have a great night. Stay safe, everyone. One episode, just ain't enough.